Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. everybody. Welcome to the Content Experience Show podcast. You know me. I'm Anna Harak from Convince and Convert. Now, typically, I am joined by my good friend, Randy Frisch from Uberflip, um, but he is off launching his new book today. So for this episode, it's just you, me, and our very special guest, Brian Phelps. Now, Brian is the CEO of Big Leap, and uh, Big Leap is a boutique agency out of Utah that specializes in four key things, really. So SEO, content, social media, and marketing automation. They do some more things, but that's really their areas of expertise. Uh, now, today, what we chose to focus on is a lot of SEO. So hope you're ready, um, because the first part of this episode digs into a lot of those modern-day SEO myths. So things like what exactly is duplicate content because uh, nobody really seems to know or the definition of duplicate content is kind of all over the place, um, plus a couple of more SEO myths. Um, and in addition, the second half of this episode really digs into the more personal side of things where we talk about how content and SEO teams and others across an organization can really all play nice within the same sandbox because there's a lot of content being created from a lot of different teams and a lot of different priorities. So Brian helps us understand how we can kind of get teams into in alignment. Plus, he gives them some great examples of some very successful teams that he's seen uh, throughout his career. So without further ado, let's bring Brian in and hear what he has to say about the wide world of SEO. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for being here. It's really great to talk to you. Yeah, likewise. Appreciate the opportunity. I'm, I'm personally very excited about this topic because we have a lot of guests on and one area that we really haven't covered a lot of is SEO. And I know that that's um, one of your areas of expertise. So I'm so excited to dig into the entire SEO conversation with you today. Um, but before we do, would you mind just going ahead and telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, no, you mentioned area of expertise. That's really where I've spent uh, my whole career, I, uh, you know, if you go all the way back to, I think it was about 12 is when I built my first website and it was for my, my mom. She actually is a fan club president for a country music singer in Nashville. So we, nice. Yeah. So this is back in like the AOL member site days, like early, early, uh, I try to think if WordPress existed back then, but yeah. So anyway, just 12 years old, she was paying me in paintball gear so I could go hang out with my friends and <laughs> paintball and, so I've always just kind of loved, yeah, the internet. You know, I used to hang out on AOL and do all that stuff. So it started early on. Um, but then yeah, I, uh, in college was working for a software company, doing some database work for a, as an insurance company, insurance software company. And I was really curious about these data feeds that they would get that we would use and update our database. And I started, kind of stumbled into the affiliate marketing world. And uh, it was just super interesting to me. So I, I learned how to build uh, websites on WordPress at that point. 
and I started, uh, I was always interested in, you know, consumer electronics. So I started with a, an HD TV website about the, the different TVs and, and uh, yeah, started learning SEO and driving traffic to that, that website. And then I monetized it through affiliate networks and advertising. And so I was really just kind of stumbled into it in some ways, had some good friends and colleagues that introduced me to it. And uh, yeah, learned by doing it just really hands-on uh, at the time by myself. And so I, I kept doing that and I, I, branched out into some other areas and I ended up getting to a point where this little side thing was making more money than my day job. And so I eventually decided to kind of go off from that and uh, kind of started Big Leap, kind of what it is today. And we, uh, we don't really do the affiliate stuff anymore. We're more of a traditional uh, SEO agency. We help other uh, companies and people, you know, optimize their sites and drive more traffic and revenue to them. Nice. That's awesome. I also love how you went from like, uh, singer fan club webpage all the way to like owning and running and starting this, this amazing agency. Like that's quite the, the <laughs> career path and trajectory. Yeah. I kind of started at, you know, I was always kind of a computer, you know, kid, this is in the late, you know, mid late nineties. And so I just was really interested in technology and computers and, and that's where I, I think I really got into SEO and really enjoyed because I, I do like that side of it. And SEO has a technical component to it for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, but obviously, there's a huge just, you know, overlap in the marketing world, too, which I've always, you know, really found fascinating. So it's kind of a cool combination of technology and marketing. Yeah. And, you know, what's what's crazy is I love that you just mentioned the technical side of SEO because I feel like, you know, whenever we do think about SEO, it's, it has a tendency still to focus on the words on the page and looking at sort of like what, what things are actually being said, like what keywords, there's still this huge focus on keywords. Can you take us through sort of, you know, in a nutshell, where we originally started with SEO and where we're at today? Because from my perception, and you, you and I got to chat a little bit before the call, there's still kind of this, this focus on just like very tactical keywords, but that's not what it's about today anymore at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And yeah, like you said, if you kind of go back to the early days of SEO, and it's true in a lot of areas and content's a big part of that where um, again, you know, early 2000s, people were literally and every once in a while still stumble across it where at the bottom of their page, they just have like keyword after keyword. And yep. sometimes it's like the same color text and that's super old school. Unfortunately, it, sometimes you'll just stumble across an old site. And that was kind of the original version. And people figured out that, hey, Google is just looking at the words on the page and they don't really know much else than that. And so, you know, it worked at the time. And so you can't really blame people for doing it. But that went on for years and years and years. Uh, eventually, Google got better at recognizing that and just maybe not uh, rewarding it or even penalizing it for people for, you know, overdoing it in some ways. But they still relied a lot on, you know, what the keywords are in your, you know, title tags or in the main, you know, copy area of your of your page. And, you know, again, there's there's still a component to that, but it's that's evolved a lot over the last, you know, five to 10 years where Google's just gotten so much better at understanding, you know, topics. And, and they know that, hey, if you're talking about, uh, you know, a certain city, you know, it's common that people are talking about not just the, you know, city of Chicago, but there's other things about Wrigley Field and different, you know, common uh, concepts that, that people talk about. So they're really good at understanding, you know, what people's intent is and what they're uh, ultimately looking for. And so, you know, stuffing keywords on a page just doesn't do it anymore. Um, it's really about, you know, the quality and depth of content that we see most often where we, we try to put a lot of emphasis now. 
The other thing that that I'm happy to see people focus on too is again that technical side about you know how should this page actually be structured on the back end like what elements um, you know should each sort of piece of code describe each as you know there's there's this whole back end that we never talk about either. Yeah, there's and there still is a big component of that. Google again has gotten a lot better at. Uh, trying to, I think, to negate the little technical problems that people maybe inadvertently don't know to fix, right? If you uh, run your own business and you're publishing content, Google doesn't want to, you know, penalize you because you don't understand SEO. And so they've gotten better at, I think, uh, overcoming some of those technical challenges. But technical SEO in a lot of ways has had kind of a, I think, a resurgence recently. There's so many different ways to build websites now. And, uh, you know, people are producing a lot more content. So there's some important things about how you you know, structure your website and, and link within your own content, other pieces of content. And then even going back to title tags, there's things like that that still uh, have a, a piece of that whole kind of ranking uh, formula. Um, but yeah, technical SEO, there's, there's a big component of that still in, in everything we do for, for us and our clients. Yeah, I still cringe whenever I see URL structures completely messy or filled with gobbledygook. And I'm, I'm just like, how... how how fix your URL. Um, yeah, there's uh, another common thing, especially on the content side that we see that um, is it's a tough one because if you follow Google and some of their you kind of spokespeople that sometimes will talk about SEO, sometimes they, they say certain things and you have to read into it a little bit. And, um, and we, we follow that and we want to listen to that and, and definitely acknowledge what they say. But we also test things out to see, you know, what an impact is. And as an example of that, Google's always said, you know, having your blog in a subfolder shouldn't make a big difference or it's not a, a huge thing. But if you follow, you know, Rand Fishkin and some of the other SEO people on Twitter, they've you just recently have uh, published blog posts about 12 case studies where uh, companies move their blog from a subdomain like blog.commenceandconvert.com was an example. I don't think that's the case here, but um, to a subfolder. So commenceandconvert.com slash blog. And without doing anything else, without you know creating new content or building links, their traffic instantly starts increasing because they're getting more value out of uh, that subfolder structure. So there's technical things like that that are important. It's good to be really aware of, um, and it, it can help yeah, your content get seen by a lot more people. Yeah, it's so you also bring up a good point, which is Google. I mean, Google is sort of this gold, shiny star that everybody looks to. They're really kind of the leader, um, but there are other search engines out there. And yeah. so what is your advice to sort of looking at what the new best, stack, new best practices are, the new standards, like where should people be looking? Yeah, and it's, it's true. There are other search engines. Unfortunately, if, if you look at in the U.S., that it's still 90 plus percent Google. They, there's a couple uh, sources that will actually show you a lot less, like 60 to 70 percent. But if you look at any, if you've looked at anybody's analytics traffic, it's usually 90, you know, plus percent. So it's, of course, it's an area we, we put a lot of emphasis. And so we, again, we like to, you know, listen to the team at Google that will come out and, and publish information. And again, we, we, we pay attention to that. And we also want to pay attention to, you know, real life stories and, and stuff that's happening out there. So uh, again, we, we do follow them, you know, sites like Search Engine Land, Search Engine Journal have a lot of great uh, information that kind of covers, I think, both sides of it, kind of Google's position on things, as well as the SEO community's uh, portion of things. So they're, they're ultimately, I think, a great source. If you're not, um, you know, in SEO day to day, and you want to just hit the highlights and the really important stuff, following their feed is a great idea. 
Nice. So, okay, last question, and it does have to deal with Google. And this is the last question before we jump into some much deeper questions, because I wanted to start off with uh, just demystifying some of SEO. I think, you know, there's still just a lot of gray area. There's a lot of, um, as you had even mentioned, you know, Google releases updates, and we kind of have to read between the lines. They're not always sort of forthcoming with how they're doing things or why they're doing things. They just kind of release updates when they feel like it. Um, I still get this question all the time, and I'm sure you do too. Duplicate content. What actually qualifies as duplicate content? Because you have people saying everything from, if you even have a paragraph of content duplicated on another page, Google's going to see it and flag it all the way down to, no, you actually have to have hundreds of thousands or at least thousands of duplicate pages or something that looks like malicious intent. So where on that scale of extremes is duplicate content and what exactly does Google think of it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. We do get that a lot. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what that is and what it means. And I'll give you a, a few examples. I think um, if you, again, go to the extreme scenario where, hey, you build this website, a marketing website, and you're just pulling in everybody's you know, blog content just completely duplicated onto your site. If you have this really extreme scenario of just thousands and thousands, that's all you do is basically duplicated content. In those scenarios, I think you can really run into a problem of you know being penalized or Google just saying, hey, we're, not, we're never going to show your website. It's you know, it's just duplicated and it's not adding value to anybody. Um, another kind of scenario though, where we get questions sometime is um, even like local pages. Mm. So for example, if you're, uh, you know, in the, the travel space, if you're, you're a car rental company, you know, they have pages for all the cities where they have uh, offices or locations. So if someone's searching for a rental car in Chicago or a rental car in Atlanta, they have pages for those. And, 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 certain industries, it can be tough to really come up with something really unique and valuable in those areas. Mm -hmm. And so that's an area we've actually done a lot of work with multi-location companies. And we always tell people in the best case scenario, if you're, you know, really invested, have the resources, we still try to make those really unique. And we, you know, talk about other things about, you know, just directions, like how to get to this location, anything unique about that location, local reviews. And so we've done that with a lot of companies where, especially in their major markets, we'll have really unique content. But we, there are scenarios where it may make sense to have uh, portions of that content duplicated. So you're talking about, you know, uh, a new uh, uh, promotional campaign or something like that in the rental car space. You know, that can be duplicated and without uh, worry, I think. One of the things that, again, I think it's kind of misunderstood in duplicate content sometimes, it's not always a penalty. Sometimes it's what I'd call more of a filter. So, you know, let's take that example, multi-location. You have similar content on all these pages. If someone's searching, uh, again, for like a Chicago rental car, Google's only wants to show one version of that content, so they're going to find the best one, and that may be, you know, the Chicago page on avis.com, and let's say a competitor copied their page, they'll, they'll, you know, exclude that one. So they just don't want, and you, this happened a lot in old SEO world, is you'd have mm -hmm. multiple versions of the exact same content on page one, and so now Google's just trying to do a better job of filtering out the copycats and keep the original source in there and they don't always they don't always get it right unfortunately and that's frustrating um but yeah it's it's one of those things where it's again we, we love unique good content you know adding value to uh, you know potential customers and search engines um but there are cases where it may make sense to have some duplicated content all right so basically moral of the story don't go copy someone else's blog thousands of times but if you have a couple of pages that have some repeating content you're most likely okay 
Yeah, I think so. Again, it can change situation by situation. People don't need to be scared about it. Like, you know, I've heard of people, uh, you know, worried about like their copyright or terms and conditions pages and duplicated. And you're not going to get penalized. Like there's lots of open source versions of those out there. Obviously, we're none of no. I don't think any of us are too concerned about getting traffic to those pages from search engines. Um, so it's not going to rank for anything, and that's fine. But your whole site's not going to be penalized because you're using a version of a terms and conditions page that's available out there for use. Nice, um, good. I'm glad we got that cleared up. Um, <laughs> and now that we have a lot of those sort of hot topic, tactical questions out of the way. Um, Brian, I want to take a quick break because I want to come back and talk to you about some tougher questions that I have and even scenarios that I've encountered with um, things like teams and getting them to play nice in the same content sandbox. So everybody stick around and we are going to be right back with Brian. Hi, friends. This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, reminding you that this show, the Connect Show podcast, is brought to you by Uberflip, the number one content experience platform. Do you ever wonder how content experience affects your marketing results? Well, you can find out in the first ever content experience report, where Uberflip uncovers eight data science-backed insights to boost your content engagement and your conversions. It's a killer report, and you do not want to miss it. Get your free copy right now at uberflip.com slash connex show report. That's uberflip.com slash connex show report. And the show is also brought to you by our team at Convince and Convert Consulting. If you've got a terrific content marketing program, but you want to take it to the very next level, we can help. Convince and Convert works with the world's most iconic brands to increase the effectiveness of their content marketing, social media marketing, digital marketing, and word of mouth marketing. Find us at Convince and Convert. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are here with Brian Phelps, and we just got done talking about a ton of some tactical SEO questions that were just um, burning on my brain and burning in all of your brains as well. Um, But Brian, I want to talk about some tougher scenarios, right? So it's kind of easy to get through some of the how-tos and the tips and tricks on what to write or how to structure the site. But there's one sticking point that I think um, a lot of companies and a lot of departments are still struggling with, which is how do you get um, with especially so many different departments creating content across organizations, how do you get them all to play along in the same sandbox and optimize content properly without it going one extreme of being, you know, sounding overly optimized all the way down to the other extreme of not being optimized at all. Because a lot of times these different departments creating different content have a lot of different priorities. They have different goals and optimization sometimes isn't always at the top of the list. So how do you get people to play nice together? Yeah, no, it's, it's a tough question. I think as marketing departments, you know, are evolving, you know, currently still and have over the years, it's, it's been interesting to see with our clients, how those teams are structured and how they, you know, work together. You know, if you go back uh, years and years ago, um, it was true. And I, I was actually this guy at an in-house company before I started Big Leap, where I was the only kind of in-house SEO guy. And so it, people kind of viewed it as like this, it's almost, it's this own channel. Like we can hire somebody or hire an agency and they can just take SEO and run with it. But it really doesn't work that way. SEO really in a lot of ways is a combination of lots of other skill sets. And one of those, a huge one of those is content. You know, there's the web dev technical side, there's PR, I think sometimes it gets involved. And so hopefully I think uh, companies, we're more and more are evolving a bit where 
the SEO team isn't, um, you know, they have their KPIs and metrics and they're accountable to certain things, but they're almost like an internal uh, consultant in some ways where they're working across multiple teams. And sometimes that comes into play as kind of being a, a checkpoint, like in a content process where they have some input and review. And then we're seeing with some companies that maybe are a little bit more uh, SEO focused where that's a big opportunity for them. They may even be involved uh, with that content team or they report to the same person or, or one in the same team. So as, just as an example, we work with a software company and for years and years they had a small content team and then we were working with them and they were kind of running on their own. And over the years we found that we work really well together by um, starting at the beginning of that process and helping them uh, with the right ideas and topics to cover and the research. And again, going back to that, you know, what words to use and, and what are the different topics we want to cover. And we really, we base all that off a lot of times on search volume and opportunity. And so the way I think it's helped uh, those companies and, and the content team where they actually really love the SEO team's input for once is their, their content is driving more traffic. It's getting seen by more people. It's contributing more. And so I think content people that can you know, rely on, and get input and advice from the SEO team, uh, their, their content's going to perform better and, and ultimately helps, hopefully helps them look better as well. And so, yeah, there's probably lots of different ways to structure teams and, and uh, you know, different approaches to doing that. Um, I don't know. I, I think every company is different. I don't think there's one right answer necessarily. What sort of in your perspective and from your experience, what is what are some of the more successful ways to structure those teams so that, um, you know, the writers get the right balance of optimization, but then also, you know, SEO is brought into strategy at the right time and they get to help inform things like what's kind of that right mix and that right blend or that right structure. Now, I think one of the most successful examples I've seen is, uh, I was just, again, a small kind of software startup. And so it, um, you know, had, a, a, again, a kind of smaller team working with agencies and different things, but as they've grown, um, SEO became more of a, a staple, I think, with everybody. You know, we do this as an agency. We'll come in if they have a content team and, and do lots of training and uh, help them be self-functioning from an SEO perspective in some ways with the content team. You know, they understand the value of linking, you know, from this current you know, piece of content they're writing to a previous one that's related. And of course, there's SEO benefits to that. So the one of the, again, that, that going back to that company, that structure that they've kind of set up is they have um, both of the SEO team and content team kind of reporting up through the same uh, person, you know, a, a director of marketing or digital marketing or VP of marketing and uh, really enabling that content team through education to, to go out and do a lot of it on their own. And then having the SEO person there is kind of that checkpoint and the research to find here's some additional topics or things we want to rank for that we don't now. And it really creates more of this kind of team vibe where it's, you know, the SEO team recognizes the content team is awesome that what they do, they write well. And if I help them give them the tools they need, then we can both succeed. Nice. Um, in terms of getting SEO and, you know, just practitioners in sooner on the strategy, how do you recommend and where do you recommend they come in? Because a lot of times I think we still see SEO as this sort of tack on end of process piece, but it's actually, I mean, it's across, like you had mentioned, I mean, it's across the entire spectrum of content development and strategy. So how can, how can we start to pull as content people, how can we start to pull SEO people in sooner and where would they be best be served within the strategy process? Yeah, I think for companies that again, are, are uh, really serious about SEO and, and they want to do that. One of the areas where we've uh, 
got involved is really early on in that process and kind of mapping out, you know, again, here, here are all the different things we want to rank for and what structure does the site have coming, kind of coming back to that where, you know, within your, you know, blog or resources, things are structured similarly. You, you'll hear, you know, kind of a hub and spoke model sometimes, uh, you know, from different people. And, and so something like that, where sometimes when we come in with a company where it's uh, a little bit more of a blank slate, sometimes we'll kind of lay out this really large kind of site structure content and we can create enough content ideas uh, to give the content team enough to do for literally years. In some cases, there's so many topics they can cover. And, and so that's really an SEO driven model, I think, where the SEO team is kind of dictating the the path and the content in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes that works. And, you know, sometimes companies are kind of coming up from the other angle of contents driving it a little bit more. In that case, I still think it makes sense. The SEO team should really be involved in the beginning. You know, if, if the content team has an ideation process where they're listing out a, a dozen ideas or a hundred ideas, you know, the content team can really uh, add some research to that and some data to show, you know, these are all great topics, but there's a lot more people maybe searching for one. Um, maybe if it's okay, I'll share a, a quick example from one yeah. of our clients on that front. Um, we work with a company that makes uh, hot tubs and spas and we help them with a lot of their, their content. And so our content team was kind of coming up with ideas and, and thinking through some ideas. And, and as they were researching, they found this one that didn't sound like super exciting or interesting as we kind of kept digging and we found that there's just literally thousands of people searching for this and it wasn't very competitive. And so our team put together this really nice long blog post. It was about how to, um, you know, make your hot tub look nice on a deck. So if you search for hot tub deck ideas, it shows up there, number one. And so, again, it, it turned out really great. Our team did a great job executing on that. Lots of pictures, visuals. Um, we even crowdsourced some of the content from different uh, landscapers and things like that. So it turned out, you know, really well. And again, on the surface, it wasn't super interesting. Like our client wasn't, you know, saying, hey, that's, that's the winner there. I want to go with that piece. Uh, but that one piece of content is actually the uh, second most traffic page on their whole website behind their homepage. Wow. So that content, yeah, it drives more people into their site than their product pages do, and, which is awesome. It, it gives people kind of an introduction to their company. And, you know, we've seen in, in their analytics that people come into that page and then there's a certain percentage that will branch out and actually look at the products, request information. So it's a kind of a cool success story of where, SEO driven research helped us create some really great content that drives people to the website. Well, I think what's fascinating about that too is that um, that's a topic that clearly people were looking for, but brands were ignoring. And so I think a lot of times we have this tendency to think of SEO as just like how to rank or how to be seen by Google, but it's really about understanding another layer of user behavior or even understanding um, just people who, you know, you know, prospective customers, ex understanding existing customers. And we don't have a tendency to look at it through that sort of user lens, which is really fascinating because it's humans that are typing these search terms in. Yeah, for sure. You know, we, we've worked with some clients where they have kind of that, you know, that customer journey or, you know, the content experience, of course, is the name of this, where children where they go through. And we, we love to kind of map that out with SEO content. And we find that, you know, people that are, have these questions along a customer journey or, you know, that kind of FAQ type stuff, that's where we like to start a lot of our content creation for our clients is, you know, those are people that are in the funnel already. They're already interested. It's not, uh, it's not the, you know, super top of the funnel. We're able to help people answer their questions and drive them kind of into our clients, uh, you know, environment and funnel where they can, you know, work them down and hopefully, you know, create great uh, sales opportunities for them.
Nice. Love it. Um, Brian, thank you so much for being here today. You have provided so much information and some great case studies, some amazing examples. Um, I really hope all of our listeners out there um, kind of take another look at the state of SEO today um, and really follow some of your advice, especially on the team uh, organizational structure. In case anybody um, wants to get a hold of you and follow Big Leap, how can they find you? Yeah, we do. Uh, our team here does a much better job of sharing industry news than I personally do. So if you want to kind of follow along and kind of stay on top of SEO industry news, I'd say follow Big Leap Marketing. It's it's, spell, it's for Twitter. It's Big Leap MKTG, shortened there. And then, yeah, if you have any questions or if you have yeah, any, anything on that front for me, I, LinkedIn's the best place to reach me. It's LinkedIn slash N slash Brian Phelps. Nice. Thank you so much. All right. So Brian, now that we've gotten to know the professional side of you, we're going to get to know the personal side of you. So everybody stick around and we are going to have some questions for Brian when we come right back. Hey everyone. I wanted to take just a few seconds today to talk to you about Emma. Emma is an email marketing platform that helps you connect with your audience and grow lasting relationships. They're awesome. They offer really intuitive tools to build and automate emails with powerful segmentation and reporting too. And the big difference is they're focused on you. Between their award-winning support and their pro services team, they make sure every customer has success with their email marketing. Seriously, they are amazing. You can learn more and request a demo today at myemma.com slash J is awesome. Again, that's myemma.com slash J is awesome. Hey, everybody, we're back with Brian, and we are going to get to know a bit more of the personal side of him. All right, so Brian, you are a Utah native, um, which I think is amazing because Utah is beautiful, and um, there's a lot of great stuff to do there. So based on your recommendations, what should people be searching for great things to do in Utah. Like if you oh, were, yeah. if people were to go to like, uh, like the Brian search engine, what should they be searching and what would your top rankings of things to do in Utah be? Yeah, no, that's a fun question. I, I think, uh, you know, for me, I would be searching for top golf courses in Utah because I, I love to golf and Utah's kind of a cool uh, place for it. There's maybe not any super famous, uh, you know, pebble beaches in Utah, but there's a, a lot of diversity in golf here and just in the climate and things like that. So if you go down to Southern Utah, you'll get this red rock, red sand courses and, and just the whole environment there, whether you like to golf or not, it's, it's more of a kind of a desert feel, but it's got these really cool red rocks. If you've ever been to Zions National Park and or if you've seen pictures, it's, Gorgeous. it's that kind of feel. Yeah, it's amazing. And you get these, uh, you know, great, much better temperatures often in the winter, a little warmer down there. But then literally drive three hours north more where we're headquartered in Utah County and Salt Lake County. And that's where you see kind of a, in, in closer to Park City where you see the snow and things like that. And of course, the golf courses up here, a little bit more of kind of a mountain type course, which are fun too. But uh, the golf stuff's fun. But ultimately, that's, you know, what people love about Utah is there's so much diversity within just a couple of hours. You can, at the certain times of year, you can literally ski in the morning and go a little further south and golf in the afternoon. It is. Yeah, it's crazy. I know um, as a sister state, Arizona is like that as well. But um, yeah, Utah, I feel is, 
is drastically underappreciated. So, um, all right, everybody, you heard it from Brian, go find those golf courses. Um, and because they are picturesque and beautiful. I mean, yeah. Where else can you, can you just go do like all four seasons in one day almost <laughs> gorgeous. Um, well, Brian, thank you so much again for being on. Really appreciate it. Um, everybody, thank you so much for joining us once again. Um, go ahead and do us a favor and leave us a review wherever you listen to us. Um, we'd love to hear what you think. Um, we'd love to dive into more topics that you want to hear. Um, so leave us a review because we appreciate your feedback. Until next time, this is Anna Harak with Convince and Convert on behalf of Randy Frisch from Uberflip, and we'll talk to you next week. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.